the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. 1220 KDOW presents Rob Black and Your Money. Your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finance, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now to start your day with the latest news and market commentary. Here's Rob Black on the Bay Area's business leader, 1220 KDOW. Welcome in. Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Anything that's on your mind, we can talk about. We can talk about one of the, there's a lot of neat little stories out there, in my opinion. One of them, self-driving cars. Clearly, they're going to change the world, right? But what about kids and adults and bicyclists and various, like a homeless person, uh, the different people who interact with self-driving cars on the sidewalk. Google self-driving cars are always learning, and they made a small announcement, nothing too crazy, nothing too, you know, over the top. Um, they said that they're starting to program their cars to recognize kids, especially on Halloween. I thought, okay, this is an angle I didn't think about. They already have to have software in the cars that try to recognize kids because kids are more unpredictable than adults. Kids might run out in front of a car where, you know, chasing a ball, whereas an adult would tend not to. But the company is, you know, used the holiday to help improve its its ability to recognize kids, given that, you know, kids, like I said, are a little more unpredictable. Google's cars are already programmed to be more cautious company said in a Google Plus update that the holiday provided some extra learning time for the vehicles to sharpen their skills at recognizing children in costumes. Now, the one thing I'm going to hate, and I know this is going to sound really silly when I say this, I'm going to hate passing on one day and dying because I'm going to miss seeing like all the new tech that comes out. Now, again, most people would say, that's kind of silly. You're not going to miss your family. You're not going to miss your friends. Of course. But the selfish thing for me is I like watching tech. Um, lots of little ghouls, superheroes, and even robots were running around Google with their families, so we asked them to hang out around our parked cars. That gives the sensors and software extra practice at recognizing children in all their unique shapes and sizes, even when they're in odd costumes. Once a sensor detects a kid, whether they're dressed in a costume or not, the software proceeds with extra caution. 
Google's driverless cars have gotten pretty good at handling the unpredictable situations. The company has driven in vehicles more than 1 million miles in autonomous mode. And it even has a dedicated team that comes up with rare and odd situations so the car can learn how to handle itself. Um, pretty, I find that, yay, you know. Uh, I think we all know someone who's passed away in a car accident. Or we all know a family that lost a kid uh, due to a scenario like that. And it's crazy unfortunate. And I think we all could kind of, you know, agree that there'll come a day that this doesn't have to happen, especially when, you know, like alcohol is involved or what have you. Um, so anyway, that's, I think, one of the, the neater little stories that was out there today. Uh, the S&P 500 gained 8.3% in October. Holy mackerel, that's a big month. Uh, best month in four years. It contributed to October's growing reputation as being a bear killer. Bear killer being a, a down market. And, you know, you get that kind of positive move and people get optimistic and push November higher. Uh, typically when we have that good of an October, November's up about 2.5% as well. Uh, the huge move in October contributes to a sense that, you know, what will the encore be? How will the year end? Um, things are mostly lower in Asia today. After some manufacturing PMI readings out of China triggered some selling interest on slowdown concerns. Specifically, China's official PMI report checked in at a 49.8 reading, which again denotes contraction in manufacturing. And unlike the United States, China is still a very big manufacturing economy. So with this news, Japan's Nikkei slipped, China's Shanghai slipped, uh, Hong Kong's Hang Seng Index slipped, Australia's uh, ASX 200 decreased, all about 15 to 2%. They're all in that area. Jumping over to Europe, you have mostly bullish bias uh, with some expansionary, some building uh, PMI readings for Germany, Italy, and the Eurozone overall. So... Germany's uh, DAX index up, France's CAC 40 up, Italy's FTSE MIB up, uh, the UK's FTSE MI 100 uh, down slightly. So in our news, the week is going to be tied with a lot of earnings and economic news, the most prominent of which is going to be our earnings report from Facebook and Disney and the October employment report. Both Facebook and Disney are priced for perfection. And what's interesting, they've both been delivering excellence uh, for quite some time. The market is digesting some more M&A news to begin the week. Uh, Visa is acquiring Visa Europe for a total of about 21 billion euros. Uh, what's interesting to note about that was, I don't know, maybe six, seven years ago, Visa spun off Visa Europe, and now they're buying it back. I like Visa as a long-term hold. And again, they too have had basically nothing but their fingers touch gold in the last four years. Um, some other news out there, there's going to be some Fed speakers coming around. Later this week, we're going to get the October employment report, a biggie. Um, so the Fed speakers are going to talk about, hey, do we see inflation? Do we see higher interest rates? Do we not see inflation? Do we not see interest rates going higher this year or early next year? What do we do? Data intensive, data needed. And that's why it comes back to that employment report being so important on Friday. Um, what else is out there? Treehouse Foods is purchasing ConAgra's private label unit for about $2.7 billion. Shire Pharmaceuticals is buying Diax for $5.9 billion. 
Chipotle is under some pressure after an E. coli scare prompted the company to close 43 stores in Oregon and Washington. It was a voluntary uh, close, but uh, you could imagine that didn't go over too terribly well. Let's take a quick look to see how... I think there's two stocks that I'm kind of interested in just from the news that I've delivered already. Chipotle is an easy one. Is that, you know, I like using bad news to buy great stocks. Down 16 bucks, down about 2.6%. That's down, but it could be a lot worse. Um, at one point in today, it was, you know, uh, it was down about 36. Now, the other stock that I'm kind of interested in from today's news is Visa. It's got an all-time high of about $78.90. It's currently at $75.50. It's down two bucks on this big merger um, or acquisition is probably the better way of saying it with uh, Visa Europe. They're going to have to issue a lot of debt to get that done. Hewlett Packard's going to uh, start the day with its new corporate structure with HP, ticker symbol HPQ, and HP Enterprises, HPE. So they've split that off. Um, today's economic you know, data has the October ISM and September construction spending. Uh, both those are kind of important numbers, but again, the really big one this week, it, it just has to be um, the employment numbers that come out on Friday because we are paying attention to that. Got a big event coming up next, or this Thursday, holy mackerel. Gosh, the time flies, doesn't it? Uh, you can sign up for it. It's in Palo Alto at the Elks Club. You can sign up for the event. It's on retirement income at robblack.com. That's robblack.com. Don't miss this one. Uh, it's the last one of the year, and I'll do some more next year, but some of the topics are going to be changed up. Um, so Wealth Management Retirement Planning, Palo Alto, November 5 from 639 at the Elks Club Lodge. You can sign up for the event at robblack.com. That's robblack.com. Listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KDOW. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial. Given a quick choice, which would you rather prefer? A million dollars or a penny that doubles every day for 30 days? Most people are going to lean towards a million dollars. But the penny that doubles every day for 30 days would result in 10 times the amount at 10.7 million to be exact. It's a simple question. It's perfect. It's somewhat extreme, but it illustrates the power of compounding. Average wedding now costs $30,000. Let's say you're 25 years old. That'd be 60,000 by the time you're 32. It'd be 122,000, 120,000 by the time you're 40. $240,000 by the time you're 47. Um, and you can see half a million, quarter of a million, becomes half a million, half a million becomes a million. 
all because you have, you know, a beautiful day. But I like this idea even more for kids. The principle of compounding is central to growing wealth over the long term. It's a subject that's rarely taught to children. It's no surprise that many of them later in their lives struggle with debt and inability to save. Too much for schools' curriculums to be adding a simple math solution like opportunity cost or compounding, which is incredibly useful. Instead, we'll have them figure out, you know, how fast you can get to point, from point A to point B in a train traveling at X amount of miles. Uh, the weakness of our current system is clear when I look at kids doing homework. And algebra is actually a very difficult subject for students to grasp, and yet, for some reason, we place it at the beginning of the sequence of math courses. Um, a lot of students won't be able to get out algebra until later. And to start it before geometry is crazy. It's just the way your brain will develop. I think our education system should be applying knowledge toward achieving specific objectives in life. In this case, financial independence. Um, if you ask every child to try to save $100,000, is it possible? Most kids would say, you know, that's audacious. But it's really easy to do if you start when you're young. So you encourage young people to try to save a big number, and to hit that number, they'll need to have you know, questions come up in their head. Do you want to spend the money on fast food? Do you want to spend the money on a new iPhone? Would going to public college make more sense than going to private college for you? And it's not the easiest thing in the world to have this conversation with a kid, because you're trying to be like the perfect parent where your kid feels no pain. I'm not that person. If you spend $1,600 this year, assuming you earn 9% per year on an investment, it's cost you $50,000 over 40 years. So a penny spent today is worth a ton of lost pennies later. So I say start thinking about $1,600 annual goals. Um, it's not that difficult. It's not that difficult to save $1,600 So a year. Uh, that's a little over $100 a month. So forget the iPhone, forget the Apple Watch. Um, I think, you know, you have to really think about compounding your money. Just me. Again, if that doesn't work for you, it doesn't work for you. 800-516-1220 to get your calls in the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls in the air. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. So Airbnb is going to have that critical war in its backyard uh, tomorrow, San Francisco, as measure Prop, Prop F threatens to curb the number of days you can rent on the platform to a total of 75. I find this one fascinating because, again, um, I think it's going to move forward regardless. Um, Airbnb tax member shows the city will lose $58 million in taxes from the company in the next 10 years. I think the hotels are out of control in the Bay Area. That's just me. Um, so it's a political battle and not just a, a market share battle anymore. Um, the ad campaigns that are going on right now are egregious. Um, older San Francisco residents and small businesses talk about how they rely on Airbnb income to stay in the city which is the highest rent in the nation. 
I have a friend who she travels a lot for work and she interestingly travels for like three weeks at a time. So her place is perfect for an Airbnb. Um, and now she's being told, you know, how many days she can and can't, um, you know, I think Airbnb, when you try to look at it through a regulatory, you know, lens, it's easier to look at Uber and say Uber's like a taxi. There's an immediate connection. With Airbnb, it's different. It's sort of serving the needs that local hotels serve, but no one thinks of this room in their apartment being equivalent to a 100-room hotel. Um, there's a lot of hostility. A lot of hostility right now. Uh, Airbnb made a huge mistake a couple weeks before the election. Uh, they basically kind of mocked San Francisco for not wanting their $58 million of which, hey, you'll be able to keep libraries open longer. And, you know, that didn't sit well with the residents. San Francisco is a complicated city, but yet Paris is the largest market for Airbnb, and Paris has embraced it. Um, now, again, we've all been in a situation, and there's Airbnb horror stories. Uh, so you have to be careful who you rent to. But a lot of people don't like seeing people that they've never seen before in their apartment building. So regulations are going to shape this battle. It's going to be an interesting one. Chipotle is close in Oregon. They're closing in Oregon and Washington. Um, after 22 sick from E. coli, 22 cases of E. coli have been traced to Chipotle restaurants in Oregon and Washington. About a third of the victims have been ho hospitalized. No one has died from the uh, E. coli bacteria. Many people affected with uh, the toxin may not seek health care, so the number of people made ill in this outbreak is probably higher. Back in August, 22 Minnesota Chipotle restaurants discovered the source of a salmonella Newport bacteria outbreak that causes diarrhea, fever, and cramps. Lovely. Um, so Chipotle's image, they got to get this one right. Uh, they got to manage this fast and furious because one of the reasons they are so attractive to millennials is that they're considered healthy. And, you know, you have a few cases back to back to back and uh, you lose your image, you lose your name, you lose your brand. And that's tough to get back later. Uh, it can happen, but it's tough. So you work so hard on that branding. Um, Sprint is going to get rid of free water bottles and yogurt, trying to save as much as $2.5 billion. <laughs> Doesn't that sound ridiculous? You know it's going to be hard, and you know it's going to be job cuts very, very soon. Um, but how much do you think uh, perks like that at a headquarters cost? You know, free food, free snacks, free water. 600000 a year. So it adds up. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Find me online at robblack.com. That's robblack.com.
Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Don't be shy. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Um, there's more and more young people living with their parents. A third of 18 to 34-year-olds are living with their families, more than during the Great Recession, despite an improving job market. We thought the millennials were going to get their own apartment and then get their own home. Well, get their own apartment, fall in love, make a baby, get their own home. But a third of 18 to 34-year-olds are living with their families. It's nearly impossible to live a comfortable lifestyle when you're drowning in student debt. So people are managing it the way they can. Parents are welcoming their adult children back with open arms. But that gives the kid, you know, a little time to work on their debt. Uh, Parents don't typically ask their children to help too much with household bills. Uh, You have to be kind of, you know, cool about this, you know. You get a lack of privacy. Can't exactly be having a passionate love life under your parents' roof, or maybe you can. I don't know. Parents are welcoming their adults' kids back with uh, open arms for now. Um, Parents should try to use that opportunity to teach the kids how to budget and save so that it's not just mooching off the parents. And again, I just, you know, the Great Recession, you know, 2008-ish, we thought by this time now that there would be fewer people living with mom and dad, and it's actually more people living with mom and dad. And it's because people who are 18 to 34 have an average um, college debt of about $35,000. Let's bring in CFP Chad Burton. Joining me now, CFP Chad Burton. So... You and I recently were talking about younger people having a lot of money in cash. Right. Let's talk a little bit about that. Um, They don't trust the market. I was talking to an HR person recently, and she's like, yeah, my company does 8% match, and all I got to do is get these young people to sign something, and they just don't do it. Like, they're turning down 8% free money. Yep. And another thing she said is, in their 401k, they... They take 10% out, but it all stays in cash. Yeah. I, I think it's the 99.1% you know, movement that we had that almost worked against the same people. Okay. Um, because of what happened on Wall Street. And, you know, I, I believe some people should have been thrown in jail for what happened with the credit crisis. Um, I think some people, and going even further back, uh, let's talk about people thrown in jail because I'm, I'm good with that. Okay. Yeah. In, let's, in, who are we going to throw in jail from the IRS? In 99 to 2001. <laughs> There was that excessive period where we, from 96 to 2000, we went straight up. Yeah. Crazy markets. Mm-hmm. And then when it fell apart, you know, the people who were hurt were people who got in late. Mm-hmm. Um, but the people who hurt those people were like some CEOs of, like, that should never have been CEOs. Companies that should never have been publicly traded. That's mm-hmm. something that I wish our SEC could figure out. Yeah. Like, shouldn't there be a tougher requirement for going public? Nope. And remaining public? I mean, like, can you justify... No revenue and have a huge multiple on your stock? If you've got no earnings and you've got little revenue, I, th- like, I think there should be some warning signs yeah. on the stock ticker or something. So at least people see, like, if this company continues this, they'll run out of money in three years. Right. Yeah. 
which is one of those tools that you and I like. Barron's always does a annual edition of companies that are burning through cash. Yeah, that's a great one. And it's 100 companies. It's like, I don't want to own any of those 100 companies. <laughs> let's, let's take a looksy looksy. That's right. Um, People going to jail. It's it's tough. Yeah, they could be. So the the 99%, 1%, you know, the all those protests and everything else, they're those same people. I mean, are you ever going to trust Wall Street again? They're not going to trust somebody sitting in a room with a suit and tie anymore. So that's why you have all of these technology-based money management firms showing up because people would rather trust technology than they'll trust some guy in a suit. Um, and I get it. I get it. They, they've seen their parents go through hell yeah. in terms of two bubbles, putting off the retirement, college education soaring. And they seem like they don't trust Wall Street yet. If we look past the 100 years you know, from today, the market's averaged over 11%. Yeah. There's even, no better return. Even despite these bubbles. And, it's, and people, statistically, there's no safer thing to do. Yeah. You know, and people look at, especially in the Bay Area, it's the issue because then people trust real estate more. I was talking to a person that they moved out of their house. Um, they've got, you know, you, if, as long as you've lived out for two out of the last five years, you can sell it and exclude your $500,000 if you're married of gains. So they're up against that time frame. They've got to put it up for sale now to sell it because that $500,000 exclusion goes away. And he's like, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I want to sell it. I'm getting $50,000 um, net rental income on that. And when I did the math on the equity on this Palo Alto home, it was a 2% income. Yeah. It seems like a big check coming in the door. Sure. But you could double that in in uh, a balanced portfolio in terms of income. And so it's not that great a cash flow. So people trust kind of the wrong things right now. Um, so we get, we got to get these kids to just learn how to, number one, be able to invest on their own. Yeah. Be able to use technology so they can see it and trust it. Um and it's something that I've become kind of passionate about. We're working on a program just for that at our company because we've always managed half a million dollars and above. And um, I'm looking out, you know, these are our clients in 10, 15 years. So let's give them a tool um, so they can do it on their own and do it kind of with technology so they get more comfortable with the market again instead of just think about the the scumbags that sold collateralized debt obligations and then sold, sold insurance on top of it. It is really unfortunate that, you know, we, go through the quote-unquote two bubbles. And what were those two bubbles? Just making sure I got the You got the bubbles. tech correction and you got the okay. credit crisis. Okay. The credit I, crisis I'm... pulled down real estate. And during the tech correction, um, you know, in 99, 2000, 2001, my small cap value funds, my REITs, they were doing great. Real yeah. estate was doing great. Credit crisis pulled everything down. Everything fell off a cliff. Asset allocation didn't technically work because um, – there were so much redemptions in the world of hedge funds and all these yeah. leveraged assets that hedge funds even had to sell off their gold and oil, the things that tend to do well during a crisis, in order to meet redemptions. Um, but it created some major value. Like a lot of bond funds, like higher yield bond funds, dropped 20, 30%. You know, we jumped on some of that stuff in 2009 and had double digit type returns in things like bond funds. That's CFP Chad Burton. You can find him at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. And I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything that you want to talk about, we can talk about. And it runs a whole gamut of conversations. I think the big picture of this show is to get you to retirement. I want you to have at least half a million dollars. If you're going to live in a very uh, different place other than the California Bay Area, if you're going to live in Oklahoma, that may be enough. 
but you have to have a budget to help figure that out. You know, $500,000 may sound like about a lot, but it's $50,000 for 10 years unless you keep it growing. So if you retire at 60, you could do the math that you're out of money by 70. Uh, Social Security is not going to cover maybe just 20% of your budget. So keep that in mind. And I'm constantly reminded by why I do this, where I've got two examples recently where friends of mine have now gotten into a scenario where they're going to have problems. One of them, um, a friend of mine, her mom and dad, her dad kind of lost his job a few years ago, and he's down in Orange County. And uh, he kind of wanted to retire. You know, he was kind of that age, but he didn't have enough saved. Uh, not even close. And her mother is kind of a big woman who uh, doesn't really walk. And I was like, you're going to have problems, Don. <laughs> like, so after like two years of taking off the job market, he had to go back and get a job. But he found that it was tougher. So he's getting less money and he's getting less perks. He used to have a car, company car, now he doesn't. So he's borrowing a, a family member's car. Um, add into that a couple other twists and turns here and there. And like her mother just had a stroke. And right now is in the hospital in Southern California. So the dad has to go to work, come home, and now is going to have to deal with her and her stroke. Getting old socks. This is one of the reasons why the best thing you can do if you're poor is get skinny. Hopefully you don't have strokes and hopefully cancers aren't going to be an issue for you. But strokes are really bad because you become disabled. Um, and it's not easy to move around. It's not easy for other people in your life. Um, my mom's had a couple strokes and, you know, she was able to barely get by, barely get by, barely get by. And then we've had to put her in a home. So this friend, her dad is going to have to work till he dies. And that's not a good solution. Uh, but I was like, you have to get to your dad and say, you know, from now on, we don't drop mom off at the door at a restaurant. She goes to the parking lot and walks to the door. And from now on, we go for a walk every night and we try to get four or five miles in. Um, otherwise, she's it's going to get worse. Um, and that's the kind of humbling conversations you have to have. And don't even think about letting your dad ever retire. Like he has to work till he dies now. Because he doesn't have enough. And she certainly doesn't want to support him. Um, she's barely making ends meet. And, you know, I told you another friend of mine, you know, her dad bought a house, bought him another investment house, bought another investment house, bought another investment house. And then all of them went bankrupt. And he had to work till the day he died. But then his wife had a stroke. And she's a big woman, so she needs to be moved around. And he died last week, last month. Flat out died. So now this 32-year-old woman with her 28-year-old sister are responsible for the mother because there's not enough money. That's not exactly the position you want to be put in. That's why you want to come to my wealth management and retirement planning event. It's going to be this Thursday at the Elks Lodge in Palo Alto. You can sign up for the event at robblack.com. It's robblack.com. You're listening to Rob Black and Your Money 
on AM 1220 KDOW and iHeart Radio Station. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Thanks for listening to the show. I'm honored that you do. So Airbnb is fighting a pretty critical war, and it's turning out, and it's going to be not resolved tomorrow. I think it's obviously ongoing. But San Francisco's got a problem where tech companies are creating a lot of jobs, and rents are crazy. But tomorrow we're going to send voters in San Francisco to vote against each other. In my opinion, neighbors voting against neighbors. Airbnb is huge in most parts of the world. It's in every country except for Syria, Iran, and North Korea. Um, it's eventually going to come public, and it's going to be a big one. Some cities like Paris and Amsterdam have embraced it because, uh, and even cities like San Francisco, I think, should because, like, the Bar District, uh, the Mission District, doesn't have a lot of housing, doesn't have a lot of hotels, but some people may want to stay there. Um, certainly, it's a messy problem that's evolved pretty fast in a sharing economy. And this is a great example of this. And, you know, I always use stories of my friends. And you must think I have a lot of friends. I really don't. But uh, the law, the proposition that we're going to put in place is dangerous because the only way to overturn it would be another vote. Those are ones I don't like. Um, And again, like I said, it's kind of neighbor versus neighbor. But the law that was put in place in 2014 was kind of been deemed unenforceable. And there are some probably super landlords out there, you know, super hosts running cash cow mini hotel businesses. Um, guests being told to tell neighbors to lie and that they're just visiting friends. Um, there's commercials and Airbnb is spending a ton of money, eight and a half dollars to every one. So Airbnb's campaign has outspent the competition or the opposition pretty aggressively. Uh, the new thought would be, let's limit it to the number of set, uh, 90 days, or it's currently at 90 days unhosted rentals. But you can host someone unlimited if you're present during the stay. So that's one of the reasons you see a lot of scenarios where like, you want to go to Monterey for vacation, and they rent out the guest room and back. Or the, the, the owner goes to the guest room and back and gives you the house. Uh, because that's they're allowed to do as many of those as they want. Now they're going to try to cut it down to 75 days, um, and it's a legislative cap that prevents growth. And it's a dangerous piece of legislation, like I said, because it also stops another vote unless it's done through the public. San Francisco has already opened up uh, Office of Short-Term Rentals, and if you've ever done anything like getting a parking permit in San Francisco, it's an all-day process. I'm not saying it's like the DMV. It's worse than the DMV. Um, So just to give you an idea of how big this fight is, uh, Airbnb uh, would lose about $6 million in revenue a year, and they've already spent over $8 million on this campaign. So they're putting their money in. And like I said, some cities like Paris really welcome it. Some cities don't. we have a, a surprising, not a surprising, we have an incredible lack of housing for all the jobs that are being created, and that's pushed the rents higher. And to give some of those uh, free homes or open homes to tourists is offending some people. 
I think if you own a home, it should be up to you. Now, if you're renting a place, should you be able to sub-rent it? Oh, that gets nasty. And let me give you an Airbnb horror story. So a friend of mine, her coworker, got a place, let's just say it was in Tahoe, um, on Airbnb. And the family went up, and it was lovely, and it was a, a great space. Uh, but the daughter, a little six-year-old kid, puts her fanny on the filter of a jacuzzi, and it sucks out her intestines. Uh, fortunately, she got airlifted to a hospital. The first doctor's like, I don't know what to do. Second doctor's like, I saw this on YouTube once. Let me do it. And fortunately, the girl's fine. And well, I don't know what fine is, you know, six months after the fact, but she got through the, she got through everything. Um, but that was an Airbnb where if it was a hotel, you have someone to sue. Obviously this guy would have someone to sue. Um, but how working condition order, like his daughter could have died. Um, and that's not good. I know that's stating the obvious. It's not good. So Airbnb can't be completely unregulated. And to give you the other example of Uber, who's changing the taxi industry, um, there was a college in London that used to bring in cabbies and teach them what's called the knowledge. It's like they taught them the street, the names of every street in London. And they're shutting down because people can just, you know, get into an Uber now and, you know, satellite GPS where they're going. Boom. Uh, there's some industries that are changing. And if you've been in an American cab, in a cab in America, in a big city like L.A., New York, San Francisco, it's been a dreadful experience. And then Uber and Lyft come along and it's lovely. So it's not surprising that they've done so well. But you look at that and you see a job loss, a taxi job loss. But you also see someone making money. It's a sharing economy. I should be able, I should be allowed to put my services online. And if some little old lady in Palo Alto needs her prescription picked up, I should be allowed to do that in my world. But how about the Uber world where late one night, girl hails an Uber. She's drunk. Maybe she does give permission. Maybe she doesn't give permission. But there's rape charges filed, which has happened. Um... It is, you could see like, ooh, maybe we do want professionally trained people. And that's not to say Uber and Lyfts aren't professionally trained, because there is some training, but you get the idea. And I think there's always going to be bad behavior, but this could be an interesting political one tomorrow. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing what the results are, to say the least. You can find me online at robblack.com. It's robblack.com. Don't be shy. Pick up the phone. Give me a call at 800-516-1220. Don't forget, i got a big event coming up this Thursday at Palo Alto Elks Lodge, 630 to 9. It's an educational workshop tied for people over 40-plus who are heading towards retirement on wealth management and retirement planning. I'm going to go over some portfolio holdings. I'm going to go over the economy. Uh, CFP Chad Burks is going to talk about diversification, some planning tips, low interest rate, alternative products, and much, much more. You can sign up for the event at robblack.com. That's robblack.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. 